This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. There's a YouTube video that came out about mid-April titled, Every COVID-19 Commercial is Exactly the Same. I don't know if you guys saw it or just were watching TV in the month of March or April, but it splices together about 30 different commercials from different companies showing that they are indeed exactly the same. It begins with somber piano music that is slow and dignifying the difficult moment. It moves on to a founding story of the company. When we first opened our doors, or it all began in 1912. And then as you slowly see B-roll footage, because they had nothing to shoot at that time, the general theme comes out, we have always been there for you. And as the piano continues, you see images of empty streets and stadiums, and you hear the line in these challenging times, or in these uncertain times, or in these unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented times. We are here to help. The picture of the kind worker moves to footage of their product, and then they commit to you, especially now, even now. Together, together, as family, 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 we'll get through this. We're in this together. We will rise above, and the somber music speeds up. Other instruments are added to the piano, and then one person starts to clap, followed by another, followed by another, followed by people in their balconies standing and cheering, and at the musical climax, you see Toyota, (laughs) Budweiser, MasterCard. It's hilarious seeing them side by side, um, but we can all imagine the Zoom March marketing meetings where everyone was saying, well, we just threw out our entire year of planning for our marketing plan. What do we do now? People were talking, okay, well, well, what is it that people need? What is it that people really want right now? Well, well, what people want, what they feel they need is a sense of togetherness, a story of stability, of humanity, of predictability, of of hope. So let's show that as a brand, we're stable for you. We're, We're for you. We're together with you. We were there before this happened and we'll be there for you after. This might actually even be going somewhere good. It's going to go back to normal, but maybe it will even be a better normal brand. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this morning that God is the new and better Toyota. He's the new and better MasterCard. He's the new and better Budweiser. Our God is the new and better corporate brand. We may poke fun at these brands because their ads were all cliche and they were all literally the same thing. But there's a reason why they all made the same commercial. And the reason is we really love that commercial. We want that commercial. We want those things in the midst of COVID. We want to return to predictability, to stability, to a story that invites us in to not be isolated or forgotten. But those commercials have also stopped. Why is that? Well, perhaps it's also that we watched enough of those to wonder, will it really all be okay because Toyota's family stretches across the nation? How together can I really be with you, Enterprise? And Aldi, I'm not going to say anything bad about Aldi. I love Aldi. (laughs) But in today's text, the living God says to Israel, 
There is hope for your future. Hope. How do you hear that word hope right now? Some of us hear the word hope and we're like, yep, that is what I'm here to hear. Please give me a word of hope. I want to hear a word of hope, just about anything basically. And actually it would be great if you didn't have to explain it that much because I just really want to believe it. I want it to be true. Some of us have the exact opposite response. We're very cynical right now to any word of hope. Right? We, we think someone who is proclaiming hope must just be capturing the opportunity rather than saying something honest. And some of us, we hear hope right now and we're worried. We're worried, is this sentimentalized hope? We're worried, is the church really going to proclaim hope today? Well, it's maybe ignoring the deaths around us, ignoring systemic racial injustice that so often the church has been complicit in. Is this the sentimentalized hope that Jeremiah says is preaching peace, peace, when there is no peace? Don't give me hope if you're ignoring the gravity of the pain and wrongdoing that's around us. But this text this morning reverberates with the truth that we do have hope. You can think hard about this hope. You can examine it and you can take it to the bank. We do have hope, not because it's what we want, but precisely because God's honest to who he has always been. We have hope from the God who will by no means clear the guilty but who also will never forget his people when they call on him. We have hope because God's everlasting love continues. We have hope because God loves us. He loved us in the past. He loved Israel in the past. He loved Israel at that moment. He loves us in this moment. And he loves us so much that he's preparing a glorious future for us. God's love gives us hope, past, present, and future. That's what this text is all about. God is the new and better corporate brand. Amen? Oh, it's so good to hear people say amen again. It is good to worship and be together and not just preach to a live stream. Praise the Lord. You are here with us. Shout amen from your living room or wherever you are. So if you do, if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Thank you for reading all 26 verses there today. We began this series with Father Aaron starting us off showing Jeremiah chapter 1, when God speaks to a young Jeremiah, and he says to Jeremiah, I'm going to give you words that will change nations. I'm going to give you words that will pluck up and destroy. But I'm also going to give you words that will plant and that will build. And as you've been following along with us, it really feels like the first half of Jeremiah, there's a lot of that plucking up and destroying. Where's that planting and building? Right? God has been saying through Jeremiah that there is grave injustice happening in Israel. You have forgotten me, the living God. You have turned to idols. And the consequences of that are really, really, really bad. Jeremiah says, the whole land shall become a ruin and waste. 
And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Jeremiah has been saying, the Lord has prepared for the people of Israel a cup of wrath. The Babylonian army from the north is going to capture you and take you into captivity. Everything familiar to you, Israel, will be gone. There'll be a destruction of your national identity. You'll be a slave to your oppressor. All that your hands had built, all your parents had built, all your grandparents had built, and their parents before them will be undone. You're probably not going to make it through this exile, and your one-year-old is likely not going to make it. And imagine, imagine someone coming to you this morning and telling you, yep, um, yep, word from the Lord, got a word from the Lord last night, and I wanted to tell you, um, COVID is going to last another 70 years. Unlike most viruses, it's actually going to mutate to be more lethal and more spreadable. And while that's happening for the next 70 years, injustice and systemic racism will increase. You can imagine why people threw Jeremiah in prison, right? (laughs) Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. And by no means am I saying that that's what will happen to us. By no means. But Jeremiah was. He was actually saying, for 70 years, you're going to be in exile. 70 years. What does Israel need right now? Well, they need, they need an honest hope, not just what they want to hear, not brushing over their sin. They need a founding story to be wrapped in. They need a future that they want to return to. They also need to know that their present suffering that they'll go through for the next 70 years isn't pointless, but that something even good is happening then. They need a new and better corporate brand commercial. And it wouldn't hurt if God threw in some uplifting music as well. So let's look at verse two. God says, the people who survived the sword. God's saying to Israel, I'm going to retell your story right now. Let me tell you right now your founding story. The people who survived the sword. Well, who's the people who survived the sword? That's you, Israel. You survived the sword. Don't you remember when you were in Egypt? Don't you remember how I led you out of Egypt, out of hands too strong for you with a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day? Don't you remember when I changed water's relationship to gravity for a moment so that you could walk through the sea on dry land and then I made it go back to normal right when the Egyptian swords were in there? Don't you remember how you survived by my power? The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, right? Israel went from Egypt into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years. And God's saying, you found grace there. I showered you with unmerited gifts, my own presence in the wilderness. You asked, where's the food? I dropped food from the sky for you. You didn't like it very much? Boom, quail. When Israel sought for rest, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. You were seeking for rest. You were looking for that land to live in and to cultivate, to seek shalom. Right? All of a sudden, their founding story is going to bear some similarity to their immediate future story. They were seeking for rest for 40 years in the wilderness, just as they will be seeking for rest for 70 years in exile. 
Then we get this line, the Lord appeared to him from far away. This is the most important line of the whole chapter. Well, I forgot that Jeremiah 31 has more verses after that. This is the most important line of these 26 verses, I believe. It says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. What's happening right there is God is reminding Israel of this time when they were at Mount Sinai, right? When Moses was on top of Mount Sinai and the people of Israel were camped underneath the mountain with Aaron leading the people and Moses was up there with God, seeing part of God as he was receiving the details of the covenant, the details of their partnership. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And as Moses is receiving this covenant, Aaron is finding every earring and every bracelet and everything in people's purses to make a golden calf to worship at the foot of the mountain. Israel was breaking the covenant while it was being made. And so Moses comes down in anger, but then God summons him back up. He summons him back to the mountain. He passes before Moses and he says what's repeated 20 times in the Bible. The Lord appeared to him from far away. And Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord says this, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. God appears to Moses and says, my defining characteristic is my steadfast love for you. And Jeremiah is, through, God is through Jeremiah retelling their founding word to their founding story. He's saying, remember when God told you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. As you're about to go into exile, remember when I said my love was everlasting? Well, here's the news for you then today. It's still lasting. Everlasting means in this moment, it is still lasting. He continues saying, therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Look, I was faithful to you when you worshiped a golden calf while I was giving you the covenant. If my love didn't stop for you then, it will not now as you go into exile for your sins. Amen? I will not stop loving you. I want you back. I love you. I love you. I love you. That is what's the refrain of this entire passage. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I want to walk with you. I love you. God's tripping over himself for these 26 verses, mixing metaphor and rhyme to show how deeply he loves his people Israel. I'm a father to you. You're my virgin, my bride. I'm your gathering shepherd. You're my dear son, my darling child. Right, one commentator notes something that's so cool. He says that God is referring, he shows that God is referring to Israel throughout these 26 verses in both the masculine and in the feminine. So God is saying he for Israel and she for Israel. Why, why is God doing that. That's not normal. That doesn't normally happen in a passage. The commentator points out it's because there are two primary ways 
God illustrates how he relates to his people. As a father does to his son, and as a faithful husband does to his bride. Right, father to his son, masculine. Husband to bride, feminine. That's what's even underneath this text that he's saying, I founded you in love and my love for you has continued. God's faithfulness to us in the past is our prophetic hope for his faithfulness in the future. God's everlasting love does not change. And people of God, oh church of Jesus Christ, if God's chosen Israel has a founding story showing God's love, how much more do we? For we did not see God's back pass by us with a thunderous spoken word. We saw God holy, hands nailed to a tree, feet driven in to the wood with a soft spoken voice to us saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. He's not ignoring sin. He's not ignoring the pain of this world. He's taking it upon himself so that he can be with you. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. What's the joy? It's that he really does feel about you like a groom feels about his bride. He really does love you as a father loves his child. You're his joy. He went to the cross for you. He endured the wrath of God for you. He bled and died because he loves you so much. If he went to the cross for you then, he is not going to give up on you now. You really think that Jesus who died for you will ignore you now in your suffering. So just invite you in the quietness of where you are right now, just to either put your hand over your heart, but just to imagine again going to the cross of Jesus. Just imagine coming next to Mary, the mother of Jesus, coming next to John and looking at that hardwood of the cross looking at Jesus' hands nailed to the tree, his feet pounded in with scars from his whippings. Imagine the crown of thorns piercing his head. Just imagine him looking at you straight in the eyes. Imagine him saying, Father, forgive her. Father, forgive him. For she knows not what she does. Hear Jesus say to you, I love you. I love you. Amen. God recounts Israel's founding story, showing that his love is from everlasting. But God also shows his everlasting love is still lasting and gives Israel a future. If you still have your Bibles open, look at verse four. God says, again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Just as you came out of the wilderness, you're going to come back here again. 
Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Just as Miriam led a song and a dance when you cross the Red Sea, again you will dance. Happiness that will be away from you for the next seven decades will return. And by the way, here's the uplifting music. God literally does throw it in. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountain of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. You're going to have great produce, God is saying. You're going to enjoy the things I love to give you. And there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when watchmen are going to say again, let us go to Jerusalem. Let us worship the living God. You will worship me again. And I'm going to gather you as a shepherd loves gathering his sheep. I'm going to call you from the farthest parts of the earth. I'm going to gather you from the north country. And now there will be people calling out that there's, there's people coming from the north country, but it's not going to be the Babylonians who are going to be called to invade you. It's actually going to be a new army. Who's this new army? It's the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who is in labor. Together, a great company shall return here. Who's this new army coming back? Well, it's the gathered, scattered. It's the vulnerable and the forgotten. You'll be coming back in weakness and a humble, dependent heart on me, but you'll be receiving my love for you as a father. You'll be weak, you'll be vulnerable, but you'll be filled to the brim with my goodness. I'm going to, by the way, when you go out, set up road markers for yourself on your way out of Jerusalem because you're going to be coming back the exact same way that you went. What is your future, Israel? Your future is a return to this land. But what will happen when you return to this land? What's the content that will transpire when you actually get there? And that's in verse 13. I will turn their mourning into joy. And I will comfort them. You're going to return vulnerable. You're going to return calling out to me. You're going to return in need. And when you return, when you get here, there's going to be a gladness trade. Here's the future. All that weeping and mourning and pain you're going to come back with, you're going to deliver that to me in a basket and lay it at my feet. And I'm going to place in your hands the basket of joy the basket of gladness. I'm going to lift your head and you are going to smile again. You're going to feel whole again and I'm going to give you a new name. Previously, for all of Jeremiah, God was giving Israel certain kinds of names. But he's saying, I'm going to give you a new name. Right? What is God naming them for these 26 verses? He's naming them virgin Israel, which is not what he was naming them before. He's naming them, dear son, darling child, in this gladness trade, you'll give me your old name of shame, and I'm going to call you pure. Instead of adulterer, you're a virgin. Instead of a wandering child, you are a firstborn heir. Instead of exile, you have a home. And isn't this exactly what Jesus came in proclaiming? Isn't this exactly what he said when he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand? What he was saying is there's going to be a great reversal when the kingdom of heaven is no longer just a mustard seed that is small and insignificant and humble in its beginnings, but is a glorious final state of a great tree. At that moment of the final state, there will be a great reversal. There will be a gladness trade for all who are humble and dependent in heart. 
but there will be a sorrow trade for all who are lofty and wise in their own eyes. Oh, don't you want to be on the good side of that gladness trade? Oh, don't you want to be like that army coming back who say, God, I need you. God, I need help. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who mourn now, for you will be comforted. Jesus himself will take your tears and wipe them away. This is the content of our hope, that in that final day when you will see Jesus face to face, you're going to deliver him your basket of all of your tears and all of your pain and all of your sorrows, and he's going to lift your head. He's going to see you. He's going to look at you. He's going to wipe your tear away. And he's going to make it right. He will make it right. It is not just a superficial joy that you will have. It is the fullness of your body knowing all things are new. You will see Jesus face to face. And when you do, there's going to be a gladness trade. But God gives to Israel, God gives to Israel the word that even in your present, he's given to Israel that in your past, I loved you with everlasting love. It's still lasting. Hope from your past springs into the now. That love that I have for you will produce for you such a glorious future, a gladness trade. But right now, what you're going through is not pointless. There is a purpose to your suffering. Don't we need to hear that when we're in exile? Don't we need to hear that even when God, we're free to say, God, it doesn't feel like there's a purpose, that we hear the divine word speak over us. There is a purpose to your suffering. What's the purpose for Israel here? It's that you can see what happens in verse 18. God says, I've heard Israel after him grieving. You have disciplined me and I was disciplined. Like an untrained calf, bring me back that I may be restored. For you are the Lord my God. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. What is the exile producing in Israel? Well, what the exile produced in the people of Israel is exactly what gets them on the right side of the gladness trade. What it produced in them was humility, was a need to call on God, was a meekness, was a frailty, was a walking with a limp. This was discipline to them that produced repentance, a a calling on God's name for help. The exile is going to remake the clay of Israel to be moldable again. And Israel is once again going to say, potter, shape me. Potter, mold me. But notice, notice though, they call on God's name. And this is prophetic for what they'll do in 70 years. They call on God's name after he says that his love continues. After he says, I'll give you a future, after he gives them grace, showing that yes, it's his discipline that softens our hearts and makes our hearts ready for repentance, but it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Why is it safe for Israel to be low? Why is it safe for them? It's because they know that God is kind to them. 
They, they know, they can know that he, behind all the suffering and the pain, there is a father who is running after them. There is a bridegroom ready to greet his bride. They are safe to be low because that's exactly the heart that God revives. That's the heart that God desires from us, a broken spirit, a contrite heart you will not despise. Brokenness is the heart that God revives. Don't you want to be on the right side of that gladness trade? When you see Jesus face to face, don't you want him to lift you up and not be the one who goes into everlasting torment, as our passage said. This is the safety we have to be brought low because God is kind to us. I don't know exactly what suffering you're going through. I don't know where, where you are coming from joining us. Uh, I, I, I don't know why this pandemic has happened now. But what I do know is I know that God really does love you. Oh, he loves you so much. I know that he has everlasting love for you. He died for you. I know he's really preparing a home for you. He gives you a future. He's preparing that gladness trade. And I also know that he'll use whatever situations you're in right now to break your dependence on yourself and to call you again to get on your knees and to say, God, help. And there will be mourning now, but there will be rejoicing in the day to come. If, if you're here with us too and you wouldn't say that you're a Christian either here in the sanctuary or on our live stream and you might not really know why you're here, Can I be so bold as to say, maybe I do? <laughs> Wasn't planning on saying that, but maybe it is that God wants to say to you right now, I really do love you. I really love you. And there is nothing that you have done that I can't reverse. I just invite you, if that's you, if would you just pray with me? Just pray, God, God, if you're real, would you give me a future? God, if you're real, would you give me a future? Would you give me hope? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.